Uh, this is Melbourne's Federation Square. Uh, we're here with an incredible panel. We're kicking off the big pitch tonight, which is Oxygen Ventures' uh, event to, to try and find the best startups in the country. Uh, I'm Ian Gardner, so I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an occasional investor, uh, I run Innovation Bay, and my day job's at Amazon Web Services, so uh, all of that means I love startups, uh, and I think we're all here because we love startups, uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, yeah, so we, I was asked to pull together a, a, a panel, or, or help discuss the, a few topics, so one that we decided to talk about tonight was corporates and startups, that, you know, if you look at Australia, uh, it's probably overweight, so to speak, in uh, corporates and underweight in startups. So how can we take advantage of that in the sense of the corporates learning from the startups and trying to be more innovative and more agile and everything else that comes with it? And how can the startups learn from the corporates in terms of trying to get some discipline and rigor and everything else around it? So why don't we start with Mark, not just because you're on my right, but you are at uh, News Corp. Is that right? That's right, yep. So um, I was at a meeting recently with a, a News Corp, uh, one of the News Corp execs. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll spare the names. And okay. uh, it was a little bit depressing. Uh, I mean, some of it was around, like, essentially managing. I mean, you, you've come from a publishing background. If you look at the big managing publishers risk, like yeah. Fairfax and News, I mean, there essentially was a burning bridge. Your, your classifieds went up in smoke essentially mm -hmm. overnight. So yep. you were forced really, to innovate, otherwise you wouldn't have survived. So do you want to just talk to us about the, the process of, of innovation and how you as News Corp were thinking about the, that innovative process? Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you look at News Corp as a business, it has a massive legacy. Rupert set up the business, inherited from his dad. And you kind of, there was, if you want disruption, then go and look at the media industry, as we all know. Um, and the business itself was trying to do the same thing the same way and expect a different outcome, which, as we know, is madness. And um, also, within the business itself, there's been a culture of making sure that we continue to do things the same way. So I continue to go around the business and say, we're continually repeating the seven most expensive words in business, which is we've always done it that way. Um, so what we look at in innovation at News Corp Australia and across News Corp globally is to just change the culture, to change the resistance of taking risk and allowing people to fail and that's where the startup piece comes in of literally like embracing a startup who actually has no legacy and has permission to fail but also has permission to take risks within the realms of their vc capital obviously but ultimately um putting that culture into the middle of news corp and into the teams within news corp so there's various ways of putting innovation in a corporate you can spin it out the side you can you can set up a lab you can do various things but I'm a big advocate for quiet change, which is taking the business on the journey, showing them the path, and those execs end up owning the output that is, the, that is innovation. So small things like break atomizing your newspapers. So we think about three things, atomization, automation, and portability for content and news. That's where we're at. So we look at it as uh, creating an innovation culture within all the teams across news. Okay, thanks, Mark. Uh, now, Pat, I'm going to look at you, not because... I think you're the youngest here. I, mean, I wouldn't like to guess everyone's age here. It's like, that's a dangerous <laughs> place to be. Uh, but you're the startup guy, yeah? That's right. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your startup and then if you could follow on with how you think about corporates and you know, maybe if you think back to a corporate life, if you had one before, and just give us some yep. context to that. Yeah, well, certainly since I was a, a corporate um, 
you know, life has changed greatly. I've been running uh, businesses. Actually, for, what was your corporate job? For 12 or so years. I was in uh, sports business. So I was lucky enough to work uh, in something I loved. Uh, worked for the British Horse Racing Board in, in London for uh, a number of years. Uh, horse racing and, and football over here, um, which was terrific. Uh, and where, which, where the concept Sorry, of, which brand of football? Uh, I won't mention Carlton, but I'm, I'm forced <laughs> to. Um, still struggling uh, after all this time, unfortunately, with, with the same issues. Um, but uh, from a startup position, you know, I was um, obviously involved in the big pitch competition here last year. So it's, uh, it's lovely to come back and sit on the other side of the fence. Um, life for us moved really quickly since that event and, and since winning the big pitch. Um, and certainly it gave us a platform to attract interest from large corporates. Um, and, you know, we found that we were brought into that environment really quickly. Um, you know, you mentioned um, about a corporate wanting to create an environment like a startup culture. And we've seen that with, with our work with ANZ. You know, they brought us into their innovation department really quickly, probably f- wanting to move faster than we could actually move. Um, but again, you know, with the resources that we had uh, in our environment with Oxygen Ventures, which was another key plus, we were able to actually meet those um, and, and turn and, out and an application. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to yeah. keep interrupting, but is that because your product is inherently... Uh, innovative and I mean is it affecting the the culture of you mentioned ANZ to the degree that they just really want to embrace you are you just a supplier no, or is there more to it I guess that's where I'm trying to yeah, come there's from. more to it it, it um, if they saw a problem to be solved and you know ours is a very innovative product it, it schedules um, information rich information into the personal calendar of consumers whether that's on mobile or desktop to keep them up to date and informed with events that matter to them and uh, ANZ had a specific problem around banking appointments, uh, in-branch banking appointments. So we actually built a bespoke app uh, for the concierge to have for um, banking consumers to actually schedule uh, a banking appointment right there and then and have that synced into their calendar, uh, which is dynamically connected to the banker's calendar. So they're dynamically connected and, and um, you know, we're able to really affect um, uh, no-show rates down to zero and um, and really increase you know visitation to branch during a test and a test and learn period, which is kind of I suppose the pathway they took. So the ability I suppose for ANZ to move outside their normal corporate infrastructure where things get really bogged down in in checkbox mentality, right? Everything has to go through a whole checkbox mentality before you even get onto a vendor. It allows them to sit sort of outside that and move outside the corporate structure of ANZ to move much quicker and be able to develop a proof of concept really quickly. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'll maybe bring in Alan here. So, Alan, you, your career path has potentially mirrored mine, maybe two or three years or four or five ahead of mine. So you are a startup guy uh, yeah. who's moved to a, to a corporate. So, uh, I mean, I've got my own stories about my one-year journey, but can you tell us about how the, the, the migration for you from being a startup guy to being a, a, you know, essentially a big corporate guy? Although when you joined Google, it wasn't huge. So just tell us about that. Yeah, well, I think that's interesting. So I'm, I'm with Google Australia. Um, Google Australia right now has got over 1,000 employees, um, of which uh, 500 of those are engineers. So, but when I joined um, eight and a half years ago, uh, we had less than 20 engineers. So um, a couple of comments uh, Yes, uh, I've been in a number of startups over about a 10, 12-year period prior to joining Google, and deep down, like you, I consider myself an entrepreneur. Uh, and I actually think um, corporates have a lot to learn, have more to learn from startups than the other way around, but I'll come back to that. 
Um, so Google is your quintessential overgrown startup company, in my opinion. I mean, the company's 15 years old, um, even even younger in Australia, and a roller coaster ride from 20 to 500 engineers in, in about eight years. Um, so in a sense, uh, we've exhibited some of the traits of a startup, high growth. Um, and I think the other, the, other, the other attribute of a startup that has helped Google along our way uh, is that um, we've, we've essentially kept to a, a core set of values or principles along the way. One of them is, uh, as Mark was saying, it's permission to fail. It has to be okay. Uh, you know, your corporate culture has to uh, endorse, even encourage the idea that it's okay to take a chance uh, take some risks uh, and fail, providing you learn from those mistakes and um, and move on. So that has to be a very, very important part of any, uh, I would say, any successful, innovative culture, large or small. And I do think large companies can learn this. It's a lot easier for a company like Google that started out as a startup and kind of grew uh, adhering to these core principles along the way than for, say, an established corporate that might have been in, in business for 50 years or 100 years, you know, uh, having to kind of reinvent itself. I don't think it's impossible, mind you, but I think it, it is actually harder to do that. Um, so I guess I do, I do consider that Google has, has maintained some of those really important attributes. Another one is transparency, making it easy for everyone in the organization to see um, what other people are doing in the organization, what our, what our goals are, what our, what our strategies are. And so you can basically look around and, and um, and learn from what other other people in your organization are doing. And one other very, very tactical thing we do, I mean, and it, it sounds so simple, but every single Google employee publishes quarterly, we call them OKRs, objectives and key results. Now this sounds it sounds simple, but the idea that everyone on their on their personal homepage in the company has said, this quarter, these are my objectives. And these key results are how I'm going to measure those objectives, and I'm going to score on a scale of zero to one. It's, it's essentially it's the language of measuring success, and it's, it's a it's a uniform language at um, at Google, and, and I think again other organisations can adapt this to their own needs too. It keeps everyone honest, but it only works because of the transparency. You can see what literally everyone in the company is doing. But, but, I mean, there is a level of discipline and rigor involved in doing that. That certainly maybe it's because I the, the startups I ran just weren't good enough, but we didn't have that rigor. So let's maybe ask Pat. I mean, do you have that level of discipline and rigor that you're you know, because that's one of the examples where I think startups can learn because that is a, a good way of, of instilling that. Yeah, it's it's great to hear that, to be honest. You know, we're at the stage of growth and, and just speaking with Alan before we started, you know, he asked me how big we are now. We've grown from essentially two people and a, a few, you know, sort of uh, people roundabouts sort of 12, 12 months ago to over 20 in less than, you know, 10 months. Um so now as my role as, as CEO becomes a fair bit different, you know, I've got to take myself out of the day-to-day grind and, and really step above and entrust people to, to manage the divisions and manage the tasks and the workloads. So building culture is really front of mind for me. Um, so really the way that I'm trying to do that is, um, you know, hiring the right people with the same sort of philosophies as us. The essential one to us is that you've, You've, you've got to buy into our product. You've got to buy into what we're trying to do. And I think that's the key thing. And I've always had a mantra, um, um, you know, if, if you don't want to be here in our company or in our vision, I, I don't want you. We don't want you to be a part of it and you don't want to be here. It just doesn't work, right? Um, and we also have a saying in our um, organization, which, which gets bandied around from time to time, is um, kind of our number four um, 
uh, I suppose, culture um, milestone, if, if you like, is, is just to get it done. We have a mantra just to get it done. And because we're quite seasonal-based and event-based, we work with, you know, major NFL teams launching the schedule and, and at major EPL teams and major sports. They're quite date-specific. And sometimes that we'll get a schedule of, of events that needs to be turned around in a matter of two or three hours. And if you have to stay till 11 o'clock at night or 1 a.m. in the morning, well, that's just done. Um, so, uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll get you in in a sec. I mean, I just, you know, I don't want to sound like the old guy here, and I'm sure Alan's got a similar experience, but when I think back to my time as a startup CEO for 18 years, it was pretty much, there was so much that I didn't know that I only appreciated once I went to a corporate, that's, you know, Amazon that's doing it well. Uh, and I'll, I'll call out two of them, uh, you know, and I don't want you to make the same mistakes. So, number one, hiring. Hire people better than you. you know, and I said the same thing when I was uh, at Viacorp. It's like we will always hire people better. We didn't. It was the reality. So we just, it was always not as good as it should have been. So, you know, hire slow, fire fast. And number two, now you're probably in the same uh, area just now. You've got to make decisions quickly uh, and kind of by instinct. And a lot of startups do that. But eventually when you get to a certain point, you've still got to have that instinct, but you've got to back it up with data. And I never did that either. So those are the two key things from me as the old guy. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. I just add a, and the OKRs and the data point is really, really key. It's got to be the right data, but it's got to be the right goal for the world you're in now. And that's kind of the disruption world of media. So if we have a conversation, News, news Corp, about selling newspapers. That's great, but it might not be the right goal. It might not be the right OKR. The transparency and plasticity to allow you to change is key, I think. So that's, to, to the startup world, like, it's got to be the right metric. It's not about getting, your growth might be users, but it might be engagement of those users. It's got to be the right one. And corporates fall into this. Of, it might be a legacy metric that they're used to, they're comfortable with, but you've got to push them outside of that and go, actually, how many are consuming that on a mobile phone every morning? That's a different conversation than it is about content on a newspaper. So yeah. it's, it's just the right OKR, which is what Google does. I guess you assess all the teams of have you got the right goals with the right business. Yeah, the, I agree. The OKR is a mechanism to keep everyone honest. Um, it's transparent and it's measurable, but it's uh, it's no substitute for careful, you know, strategic planning and trying to you know uh, determine what in fact those right objectives and goals are for, for sure. Okay, Alan, are they are they more activity goals? Are they like I'm going to make 50 sales calls this week? I mean, are they activity yeah, based or um, more? Uh, end all of the based? above. We have we have very very high level OKRs uh, such as um, you know um, things that are actually quite difficult to measure. Things like mobile first. All Google products and services should launch on mobile before any other platform. And uh, these are quite <laughs> sometimes quite hard to measure. So they're very they're almost like corporate level strategic goals down to very very you know almost tactical things around you know. And the nice thing is though um, you know the methodology applies to all levels. Okay, I don't get it, don't want to get caught too much in the weeds here. I do want to bring in uh, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, it took me about twenty minutes to lead, read your LinkedIn profile this afternoon. Uh, incredible, it's up to date. <laughs> uh, incredible background. You, you seem to have done everything. I mean, do you want to just – so, I mean, I'd, I'd probably class you most as an investor. I mean, is that reasonable? And do you want to give your perspective after answering that on the corporate startups conundrum? Sure. Look, um, I'm passionate first. Uh, investing didn't come until later on, um, but I had my first business at 19. I didn't really have my first job until I was in my mid-30s. Uh, which was into the corporate space in corporate construction, uh, working for uh, 
some of the, Australia's biggest construction companies. But again, there was an element of those that was focused on green building and the environment, which I was passionate about. In 2008, I had a, a life-changing year uh, in a personal sense. And um, I thought, well, if I want to be truly happy, I need to focus on what I love where I think the future will be for, for me and um, how I can bring environment and social justice into everything I do. And that's when I started to invest in myself, also invest in businesses and, um, and start up other entities from that. That's where I am now. And um, I'm really passionate about actually influencing significant change. And I think entrepreneurs are the people to do it. I'm not going to rely on corporates or government particularly. So, so, and, and tell us a wee bit about your fund. So it's $100 million. What's it going to invest in and what sort of check size are you going to write? Um, so it's an impact investment fund. We, we leverage and benchmark 37 global principles such as UNPRI, Principles of Responsible Investment, Global Compact, Dow Jones and a whole variety um, and making sure that we're positively investing in organisations that deliver a financial return a social return and an environmental return. Um, projects could be water rights, renewable energy, um, a company like, say, Thank You Group that, that donates a lot of their profits to water development projects in developing countries, um, like Tom's Shoes that donates one pair of shoes for every pair they sell. They're the sort of companies that we want to lift up and elevate. Um, as far as spend, We've got $100 million to spend. That's our start point. We really want to take this to beyond the billion-dollar fund. Um, we think that we'll be achieving better than double-digit return or double-digit returns, but in the higher level of that. Um, and also measuring the social and environmental outcomes is equally important, and we need to be able to justify where those are. But $100 million, I mean, it's relatively hard to, to spend that in Australia, trying to find a deal that's good enough and find a check size that's big enough to go in. Look, Australia's been playing a very small game. And uh, two weeks ago, I, I hosted a Deo Resi from Silicon Valley here in Australia for three days. And some of the conversations we're having, you know, you want 200K, but what could you do with 2 million? That's the conversation we want to have. We're losing a lot of innovation to overseas. We want to retain that here in Australia. And myself and my partners are prepared to step up and, and put our money on the line along with our investors' money in a responsible way. Um, but we believe, and, and I've been inundated in two weeks with probably more than 50 IMs, and a lot of those are really valid business opportunities. And if we can fund those and support those social entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs with a conscience, um, then I think we can really elevate Australia um, to, to be a specialist in that zone. Okay, I think Mark was about to jump. So I want to get Mark. Uh, sorry, Mark, I've got a, a question. You can comment, but I've also got a question for you, and I'm going to ask the same question to, to Alan. Um, so uh, news, I know Google's got Google Ventures, but do you think it's valid for news to become a co-investor or a limited partner as, a, as an investor in startups? Yes, I think there's definitely, there's definitely opportunity to build a media tech incubator accelerator fund to start growing Australian media companies. Because one of the challenges in the media space in Australia is there aren't enough media companies. And also, some of the businesses think Australia, which you have to think global. That was the question I was going to ask you. Literally, those funds you're going to invest, those businesses you're going to invest in, are they thinking big enough? Because if they're not thinking big enough, then they're never going to scale. They're never going to get to those metrics and that growth and that J-curve that we're looking for. So I think there definitely is an ability to invest in businesses 
There's also the challenge of acquiring businesses. We go, we, we acquire businesses like REA and various other businesses that need to get integrated in. Now, REA's success could be left on its own to actually grow as its own business. But then that not killing the startup means that you probably have a fund that means you run it outside. So we do something in the US um, out of New York where we actually run four or five small businesses uh, using pre-hype to basically then run those funds, run those businesses and run them as side businesses. But they have to think big. You have to think big. I'm interested in these five businesses here, or these businesses here today. Are they thinking big enough or are they thinking Australia? You can start local, but you've got to go global. You have, yeah. And Alan, Google Ventures, tell us a bit about that and its mantra and what it's doing in Australia. Uh, currently, Google Ventures is not operating in Australia, and it, in part because uh, it, um, Google Ventures' approach is extremely um, high volume, you know, large pipeline of startups. It's almost it's almost verging on algorithmic investing. Not to take not to take away from the limited partners, but so it's done what three or four hundred deals. Yeah, yeah, several yeah. hundred. Um, huge. And um, but many, 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 many more in the pipeline. So the other, the other thing uh, that has made it a little bit hard for Google Ventures to scale overseas, and I think it will happen, by the way. We, we now have um, – we do have an outfit or a, a branch in the UK. Um, it's um, – the, the actual investments are high touch in the sense that um, we do work quite closely with the uh, investee companies. And we, for example, we'll um, um, bring on um, Google uh, UI designers or UX researchers to work and do things like design sprints to essentially help them um, execute uh, and, and learn from some of the things that we at Google are doing. So that's a model that's uh, a bit hard to replicate. It's not impossible, but um, so that's the current situation as far as investment is going. But um, I will say this, uh, Google Ventures certainly has appetite for the kinds of companies that you've just been describing. So companies that have global appetite, because eventually global will include, you know, the types of markets that will interest um, overseas uh, uh, venture capitalists such as Google Ventures. Having said that, I'd love to see them operating here in Australia. Okay. Well, I think the, the theme there is we are going to see more corporate venturing, which I think is going to be a positive for the, for the, 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 the ecosystem. Um, we're kind of out of time. So uh, you guys are lucky because you can go off to the bar and get a drink. I've got another panel to do in uh, five minutes or so. But Alan, Pat, Jeff, Mark, thank you so much. And... Uh, I don't know whether we go to a break Thanks now. Or Thanks what, for having what us. The deal is no problem. Thank you. Thank you.